to Life According to Jess. I am your host, Jessica Anderson, and today I want to talk about something that is really difficult as a parent of young kids, and that is using the word no. It's so interesting. Saying no is something that is really difficult for me because I've been a people pleaser for pretty much my whole life. So my natural instinct is just to to make everyone else comfortable. If any of you out there are people pleasers, then I'm sure you understand. It's just easier to avoid the conflict, to avoid hurt feelings, to just say yes, even when it really doesn't make sense. And then when I have to say no, I feel terrible about it. I actually... Just earlier today, I was in this group text and um, I'm part of a group that planned some activities and they were wanting to get together for a planning meeting. But the day that they picked is my birthday and I already have another meeting I have to go to for homeschooling. So I've got a pretty full day and I wrote back that that day doesn't work for me but I have been thinking about it for hours, which is kind of crazy because in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter if I can't attend this one meeting. I go to almost all the others, but it's the fact that I had to say no. So something that I have been really passionate about with my kids is letting them say no, but it's not easy. I grew up in a house where you don't disrespect your parents, so you don't disagree, you don't say no when they ask you to do something because it's disrespectful. And so my natural inclination when my kids say no is, oh, well, they're being disrespectful or rude. And I've had to kind of retrain my brain and my way of thinking in approaching these situations where they say no, especially because as somebody who's been through abusive relationships and situations, I think it's really important that kids learn that they can say no. I wish that I had been able to say no more when I was younger. And so I'm just so passionate about that. But you also tend to get the opinions of people in older generations that kind of disagree. And I can see where they're coming from, where they want to be respected as elders or or they think kids should be obedient or just act the way that they want them to. And so that can be kind of hard to deal with. I'm hoping I can actually make it through this podcast episode okay. My family and I all caught that nasty bug that's going around that gives you a bad cough for like forever. We got sick like two weeks ago at this point and I'm still dealing with a cough. That's actually why I missed last week. But getting back to saying no, I think it's especially important in regards to people's own space 
and their body. I can't remember exactly how long ago this was, but my mother-in-law took my daughter with her out and my daughter was kind of rolling around on the floor and my mother-in-law told her to get up off the floor and my daughter said no. And so when she brought my daughter back home, she was like, she needs to learn that she doesn't say no to her mama, which is what she calls my mother-in-law. And while I think, while I agree that I want my daughter to listen to the rules that my mother-in-law sets while she's with her, I also want to make it clear that she is allowed to say no, but she gets certain consequences. And so that's kind of what I've had to work on is what is the reaction and what is the consequence when my kids don't listen? So as an example, one of the areas that I think is very important for kids to be able to make their own decisions about is how much food they eat. As a parent, I get to decide what food is served, but my kids get to decide how much food they eat. And I want them to have that choice so that they can learn to listen to their own body about being full or being hungry. I think kids can have more of an understanding of what their body needs than we give them credit for. If they are craving fats or proteins or sugar or fiber, whatever it may be, yeah, maybe they don't always seek the best option in those categories, but I can also listen to them about what they're saying their body needs and adjust my offering. So when I serve dinner, I always try to include something that I know my kids will like. This has been a real learning process for me. I have read a lot of advice from nutritionists And I have tried different methods, and it's still very much a work in progress. But I always try to include something at meals that I know that they like. Maybe they don't feel like eating it that day, but at least I know that it's a safe food option for them. Because typically, I'm serving other foods that they don't like, or maybe they're new to them, or they haven't enjoyed before. But as a kid, I always, I also always hated having to sit at the table and finish my plate before I could get down. And so I never wanted to do that to my kids. So if my kids don't eat anything, especially at dinner time, that's fine. But they're usually saying that they're hungry right before bed. And so we have provided them with two options. They can have a piece of bread or a banana before they go to bed if they are hungry. And I like that because for one, my mom conscience does not personally feel good sending them to bed knowing that they're hungry, but it doesn't give them something exciting to look forward to. They can't handpick a snack right before they go to bed. So it places a boundary on what's available at certain times. 
we eat a lot of Sunday dinners with my extended family, my my in-laws. And usually my kids are too overstimulated to eat. They don't want to sit down at the dinner table with everyone typically and eat. So Sunday nights, we get home. The kids are saying that they're hungry and they know their choice of banana or bread. And in the morning, we can serve them a good breakfast and there's a lot more options available. But it's those natural consequences rather than having this power struggle with them at dinner time about whether or not they want to eat or whether or not they want to try what's on their plate. They get to decide and then they know what the consequences are, that they're not going to have anything else to eat except for those two options. The other day we had a situation where my kids were playing outside and I was with them and they kept fighting. And that's a pretty unusual occurrence. They really don't fight that much, at at least at at their ages right now. And so I said to them, if you get along, we can stay outside. If you continue to fight, we have to go in. And so I just laid out very clear boundaries of this is what happens if you get along and this is what happens if you fight so that they were making their own choices. It wasn't me getting after them. Hey, don't fight. You better get along. This or that. It was, if you do this, this is what happens. And if you do this, this is what happens. And so I'm not perfect at it. I continually have to practice implementing this. And it's something that my husband and I talk a lot about because he doesn't always feel like the consequences are adequate enough. And so we have a lot of discussions about consequences for behavior and and different things. But overall, I feel like giving my kids the opportunity to make their own choices and to to learn rather than getting punished is a lot more successful. Like we have our struggles with our kids. Bedtime in particular is a difficult time. There's a lot of dragging feet and wanting to keep playing and especially at the end of the day can feel like that time just drags on. And so that can be really hard. But overall, our kids make really good choices. And so I've never felt like we needed to do a lot of timeouts or grounding. I mean, and they're still pretty young, so we'll have to see how it goes as they age. But just giving them control of their choices, I feel like treats them like they're human beings rather than kids who are lesser than adults. I don't know why we expect kids to behave better than we expect out of adults sometimes or even ourselves. So I've really tried to put myself in their shoes more in situations and to let them know that I understand their feelings. And actually, there is this one time, this was pretty hard. We were in the car 
And I think my husband was out of town on a work trip. So it was an especially difficult time because I was parenting solo. And my daughter wanted to stop and I think she wanted to go play at the playground. And I said, no, we can't play at the playground today because we had already gone on a play date and we had gotten, we had picked up some food, but my daughter was really upset that we couldn't play at the playground. And she said to me, you're not the best mom ever. And it was crushing to hear that from my daughter, especially because she usually is telling me that she thinks I'm the best mom ever. And I'm just eating it up at this age because I know that that won't last. But to hear her say that was really hard because I wanted to retaliate and I felt angry and frustrated. Like I had just done all of these fun things with her by picking up food that she liked and letting her play with her friends. And we were just driving on the way home. I felt like we had had a really great day. And yet she was unhappy with me that it didn't go exactly how she wanted to. And so I had to kind of take myself out of that moment and remind myself that she was probably overstimulated from all the things that we had been doing that day. It was a weird time because her dad was out of town and I can't remember how old she was. I think three or four. And so, I mean, that was just part of the age is not of not getting what she wanted. And that was how she was expressing her feelings. But it was hard. It was hard. And I think after we got home and I settled them in, I went and cried in my bathroom for a little while. And when I finally got to talk to my husband, I had to vent it out to him a little bit. But I didn't want to make her feel like she was responsible for my feelings. And I felt like it was really important for her to be able to express how she's feeling. I'm hoping that with these experiences over time, that I can build a relationship with her of trust and understanding and honesty so that when bigger things come along as she gets older, that we'll still be able to have these constructive conversations and that she'll still be able to tell me how she's honestly feeling and that I can react reasonably and hopefully calmly no matter the situation so that she doesn't feel scared to tell me something. That was kind of a long tangent off of being able to say no. But there are, of course, times where I feel like them being able to say no is not really an option or it's an option but not an option that I can really let them explore. Like when kids are young, you have to teach them that they can't run out in the street. And both of my kids, I remember during the young toddler phase, would want to run out into the street and I'd be saying, hey, stop, stop, don't run out into the street. And they'd be saying, no, and I would try to grab their hand. No, you know, and that was a time where for their safety, I couldn't allow them to just explore no and let them face the natural consequences. And so I think there's a balance between, you know, health, 
and safety and rules of being in public spaces. Like my, my kids, obviously they're young kids, have a hard time sitting still for a long time in a restaurant. And so it's something that we've had to work on and something that just over time gets better when they have a longer attention span. But there have been times where the kids have wanted to run around the table, run around in the aisles of a restaurant, and rather than fighting with them about it, I try to prep for it. So I'll often bring things for them to do at the restaurant. And sometimes one of us just ends up having to leave the table a little bit early to walk around outside with the kids while the other one takes care of the bill. I guess the, the flip side of kids being able to say no is also kind of just being reasonable with your expectations of young children. I know that before I had kids, I couldn't believe when parents would have screaming kids or kids running around or seeing a kid throw a tantrum and my thoughts would immediately go, oh, those parents don't know what they're doing. The reality is kids just have those moments and it doesn't really say anything about your parenting. A kid is going to throw a tantrum for the best parent in the world and it doesn't matter if you see a kid screaming. Sometimes your instinct can be to think those parents really need to teach their kids not to be throwing a tantrum. Kids have tantrums and it's actually really healthy for them to explore having tantrums. But these are things that I've had to learn as I get older and things I've had to learn how to work through because they can also be really triggering situations. Uh, one of the other times I think is most important for kids to understand a no is when it is in regards to someone else. Because just like I want them to have a say over their own body, I have also tried really hard to work with them on learning to respect other people's bodies. When someone says, no, they don't want to hug, no, they don't want to play right now, whatever the case may be, learning to listen to those no's, but then also trying to emphasize on their own. Something I've seen kind of a shift in in society, which I really appreciate, is learning to ask instead of expect physical affection from kids to family members. So a lot of the mentality has been, oh, you hug your family members because they're your family. Even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if you don't want to do that, and I don't know why that has been the case for kids because that's certainly not normal in society. Normally, you do not go up to another adult and say something like, oh, come here, just give me a hug and expect that that person is going to do it no matter what. Like, that's just not normal. So I have tried to switch the phrasing when we are saying goodbye to family members to rather than, oh, go give them a hug, do you want to give so-and-so a hug? Do you want so-and-so to hold you? 
Or do you want to go sit with them? And if my kids say no, then it's a no. I think that is so important because just because somebody is a family member doesn't mean that they have the right to somebody else's physical space. In fact, people that you know and are familiar with, so friends and family members, have the highest likelihood of abuse to someone else that they know. Like when someone is abused, it is typically someone that they know. It's more common than being abused by somebody that you don't know. And so I think that all kids should know that they have the right to say no. And that's why when when my kids are disagreeing, the lesson that I want to teach them is not, you don't say no, it's here are the consequences of saying no or not listening. You know, if you are not listening to your grandma when you go out with her, well, then she's not going to take you out. Or if you, if you don't do your chores, then you don't get the privilege of doing something that you enjoy. You just, like, at, when, when things do take a long time at our kids' bedtime, we often say something along the lines of, if you don't go get your pajamas on, then we're going to have to skip our book at bedtime. And so they know, oh, that's the consequence for my action. And it actually matches what their choice is. Because I remember... When I wouldn't listen to my parents growing up, there was usually some kind of like vague consequence that didn't always connect. And this is not a rag on my parents necessarily, but just if I got in trouble for something, I could pretty much guarantee that it was I would lose my privilege of watching TV, lose my phone, lose the ability to play some games. You know, those were like the some of the three main consequences, but it didn't always match what I was actually doing. And so I just try to provide consequences that are kind of more natural consequences to their actions. So they still feel like they have their choice, but then they see the natural consequence of what they've done. I don't want to scare my kids into blind obedience and I would much rather have mutual respect and understanding of my role as a parent to keep them safe to keep them healthy but also to just protect them in general and for them to understand their role as a child to be able to push those boundaries and have experiences where they learn and figure out how to make their own choices. Kind of along the same lines is the the phrase of saying sorry after you do something. My opinion of this has kind of changed a little bit over time, but when my kids were young and they would go and hit somebody or try to bite or whatever the case may be, it was, it was usually hitting that's the most common. There's almost like this pressure in society to immediately have your kids say sorry and to really push them saying sorry. 
Now, I think it's an important lesson to learn, but when my daughter especially was young, she would immediately rush into saying sorry before finding out if the other person was okay. And she would just kind of go, sorry, 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 sorry. And so it really didn't hold any meaning whatsoever. And so I kind of had to shift our focus from saying sorry and and pressuring her into saying that and rather focusing on what happened and how she can make it better and if the other person was okay. I think it's way more important to find out how the other person is doing and how you can make amends with somebody and repair the situation rather than having them say the words, I'm sorry. Now that my daughter's a little bit older, we have a little more emphasis on saying sorry, like especially to her brother when they get into fights. Because now it actually means something and now she kind of understands where it's coming from. But there was a long time, uh, I actually, I had a friend online who kind of did a poll and my opinion was very different because I didn't feel like making your kids say sorry was nearly as important as the other steps in the process. I just think that there's sometimes... There are better ways of handling a situation than maybe our, our natural inclinations suggest um, or just how previous generations have done it. I think there's a lot that we can learn from previous generations. Don't get me wrong on that for sure. But I also know that as time goes on, we get more research into parenting and into brain development and child development and I just think one of the way like one of the biggest impacts that we can have on our kids is treating them more equally rather than kind of having a power trip over them not that I don't get that urge to say some of those things like because I said so or you have to do this because you're a kid. You know, I definitely have those thoughts. I have those feelings. I even have those moments where I'm using those phrases and just kind of doing what has been done up to this point. But I try to make some of these small changes and I also try to focus on what I think is the most important lessons that I can teach my kids. Because I know that I'm not going to be a perfect parent. I know that I'm not going to get everything right. You can't get it right 100% of the time. But something, something that I heard recently, and I can't remember where this was from, but it was measuring, measuring success over time. So when you set a goal, you can mark it off every day, whether, whether you completed that goal or not. And your percentage is going to be however many days you hit your goal out of roughly 30 days in a month, right? Or you could even average it weekly or monthly where did you complete your goal most days out of the week that week? Then you succeeded. And out of 52 weeks, you're probably going to have a higher average because you really only have to hit your goal 
four days out of seven to have a majority. And so your overall success rate is going to look a lot better. The same can be for months. If you just, if you take, if you hit your goal over half the month, then you've succeeded in that month. And out of 12 months, it's a long time. And you also have a lot more leeway and a lot more grace period out of that month than you do from tracking it day to day. And I think in parenting that that is really helpful. And it can be it can be applied to so many things. I mean, if your goal is to be a more gentle parent, if you're succeeding most days out of the week, then you have a pretty good average. If you're feeding your kids a balanced meal, you know, at least once a day or, you know, even four out of seven days, that's a pretty good average that you're trying to feed your kids healthy meals. If you're spending one-on-one time with your kids, even if it's only for 10 minutes a day, most days, that's a pretty good average. And overall, we can kind of see the, the bigger picture and like the bigger impact that we have on our kids by making those decisions and just trying our best most days. We're not going to be, be perfect. We have bad days too. We get thrown off our schedule. But if we're putting in the effort and we're focusing on our priorities the things that are that are the most important, the, the most important lessons that you want your kids to learn, then you're doing all right. And if your kids know that you love them, that you want to get to know them, that you're trying to understand them, even though you may not always understand them, then things are going to be okay. So I, uh, I would just encourage you to take a look at how you can connect with your kids a little bit more or your biggest biggest priorities in parenting the the things that you most care about them learning if they were to describe you as a parent to their friends like oh what were your parents like when you were growing up what are the lessons that you most want them to take and just focus on those one step at a time one small adjustment at a time and again, if you get, if you're making progress little by little, it really adds up. So thanks so much for listening, you guys. I'll catch you in the next one.